Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 45 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and the Mets are still in first place as we are entering the second week of June here. So episode 45 for you. Got some fun ones, Joe. Uh, One early, Tug McGraw. Can't forget, he came up with You Gotta Believe. One random, Jerry DePoto was a reliever for the Mets for two years for the number 45. Now the Mariners GM. Mets fans know him as the guy that worked with Brody on the big trade involving Jared Kelenic. One that got away, number 45, Zach Wheeler. Wish the Mets worked out a contract with him. He's been great for the Phillies overall. Extra, extra special this year. And one very good number 45 in Mets history, John Franco wore number 45. It was not his first number with the Mets, but I believe it was his last number and had some great years in that number. Joe, what's going on, man? Welcome in. Not much. Not much. I'm going to bring up a very special one, and that's Pedro Martinez, number 45. Because to me, you know, when they signed Pedro, that was really the turning point of the mid 2000s Mets because once they got Pedro it led to Beltron and you know it was the whole the new Mets thing and yeah Pedro as as 45 is one that I think people need not forget Uh, I know that his run here was not you know crazy long and crazy successful but I thought it was incredibly impactful for an era of Mets baseball that a lot of fans especially you know in yours and my age range distinctly remember and you know hold really close to their heart for sure absolutely in 2005 he was phenomenal uh for the Mets and obviously you know 2006 wasn't as good but still had big moments with this team overall so Pedro uh definitely one that you cannot leave off the list when you're looking at number 45 in team history definitely uh, that's another good one honestly when you look at it in terms of obviously Tug McGraw and Zach Wheeler and, and John Franco and obviously Pedro, there are some really good number 45. So the Mets are still in first place. It feels like they've quietly somehow been in first place for quite some time, even with, I mean, let's call it what it is, just a completely ravaged lineup. And you and I have said it, I think, on both shows for the last couple of the last two or three weeks here. Just play 500 ball and and you can give yourself a chance. They've been better than that. They have really played a gritty brand of baseball. And I think most importantly right now, the thing that jumps out to me, that is a new development. It's not that Jacob deGrom is an alien or Marcus Stroman is having a career year or that the bullpen is shocking the world right now and is one of the best in baseball. But the new development is Lindor and McCann are who we thought they were. And it was just a matter of time. And sure, it hasn't been perfect. But they've been really, really good. Lindor looks like a different player at the plate. He's always been great in the field and always been great as a leader for this team. But now you're starting to see not just the power, but just barreling the ball from both sides of the plate. McCann, you are seeing the power. That's been the thing that jumps out to me. You are seeing really, really serious pop. And even on some of the deep outs he's had, it looks like the ball would be going out. I truly believe the ball is more dead than we were led on to believe. But he's also had some really big home runs. So I think these two guys have gotten it going when the Mets couldn't ride random hot waves of players, right? They need the stars to hit, and these two guys are starting to get it done. Yeah, Lindor's a guy that, you know, obviously it was so frustrating to watch him perform the way way he was. And he expressed, you know, like basically, hey, you guys are frustrated. Imagine you were me. <laughs> like he was obviously incredibly frustrated, but now it, to me, it was a matter of time until he broke out, you know, superstars like him 
tend to play like superstars. And it's just a matter of, do they have a tough start? Do they have a tough middle, a tough end? I mean, there's really no, almost nobody in baseball that's going to be consistently awesome April through September. So Lindor just had a really tough start and maybe it was a, a little longer than we would have hoped. But like you said, he's he looks like a different player at the plate. He's not flailing at things. He's not way out in front. He's barreling balls consistently on both sides of the ball, putting them gap to gap, uh, hitting for power. I'm, I'm all in on Lindor. I think now you see the fans shifting. You know, it certainly got very negative there for a minute. But I think the fans are finally realizing that Francisco Lindor is a special player. And we're now starting to get a glimpse of what we're going to see for hopefully the next decade plus. And then with James McCann, that one was a little tougher. He was really struggling. And I'm generally glass half full. But in the back of my head, I was like, well, he really hasn't been that good for most of his career. And it was just kind of, you know, a smaller sample size. And he played part-time, which I think the Mets are going to smartly split time with him and Tomas Nito. So that way, they're both they're both getting play and they're both effective. But McCann, like you said, I mean, that power is really something. Like when he gets a hold of the ball, it it's going to go. So I, I think right now you can't be happier with those guys. And I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago on the show that if the Mets are going to succeed in this period of time, waiting for the regulars and other guys to get back to the roster, it was going to take guys like Lindor and McCann to and Dom Smith to really play to their capabilities. And guess what? They have all three of them. I mean, Dom Smith, we're not even mentioning him. He's He's been fantastic of late as well. He definitely has. He's you know, just flat out hitting right now when it looked like at a time he was struggling to even make contact. So I think that those guys getting going has had a huge impact, especially with VR out of the lineup for what felt like a week. That was always going to be a tough loss, honestly, a really, really tough loss right now. And of course, they've gotten some pop out of McKinney, which has been a really, really nice surprise. I, I know Drury overall has struggled, but he's also had some moments I think just overall, bottom line is they're finding ways to get it done. And it's amazing you look at that Padres series in San Diego because at the end of this week, the Padres will come to City Field starting Friday and that'll go through the weekend. The four-game series in San Diego, we kind of highlighted that and go, man, with how banged up the Mets are right now, you just you don't want to go in there and, and obviously get swept. You really don't want to go in there and drop three out of four. But would anyone really be surprised? And not only did they split, you could look at those games, Joe, and say, wow, there's a realistic situation where they could have swept that series. And the fact that they played at that caliber of a level without a lot of their regulars or in very interesting or different situations, uh, they're just a team that fights. They really, really are. The first two games, both losses, obviously, they had situations towards the end of those games where they could have turned the tide. And then the last two games, they just flat out pitched their asses off in DeGrom and Stroman, and they got timely, timely hits. So they're getting it done. That's what it comes down to right now. And they have to continue to do that. But like we said, Lindor and McCann and McCann obviously coming around. When you look at some of the reinforcements on the way, Luis Guillorme has actively been playing for Syracuse on a rehab assignment. He should be back very, very shortly. Maybe by the time you're even listening to this pod, there'll be another update on him. And Albert Almora is starting a rehab assignment this week in Syracuse, so he could even be back. And when you look at those returns on the horizon, and I know Andy Martino said that Jeff McNeil is the next guy to go on a rehab assignment, possibly in a few days. But let's just keep it with Guillaume and Almora, because we'll probably be talking more about McNeil next week. I think when you look at it, They've they've desperately missed Guillaume. It would be nice to have, as even though Praz has had his moments, something you and I talked about off air. It would be nice to have Guillaume at third and VR at second as the everyday situation until more regulars are back. And when you look at Almora, that I know a lot of fans reacted, hey, we want McKinney to stay up. I don't think that affects McKinney. I think that affects Mason Williams, who's probably just not a major league hitter, more of a defender, and you want Almora to take his place. So what are your thoughts about those two guys very close to returning? Yeah, I mean, you're finally getting 
getting a couple guys back here and there. And, you know, they're more depth guys in theory. When everything's great, you have Guillaume coming off the bench and playing, you know, in spot starts. Uh, I'd rather have him at, at second base, to be honest, and VR at third. Okay. I think Guillaume up the middle with Lindor, I think it's just a smooth double play combination. I mean, VR's been, been good at third. Yeah, VR's been fine at third. I mean, pleasantly a pleasant surprise for sure. Uh, Guillerme, I'd like to see him at second, turn a double play with Lindor, and you could sprinkle Peraza in here and there, but Guillerme to me needs to get back. He should be back by the end of this week is what we've been told, unless there's some kind of setback. The expectation is he should probably be back for the San Diego series this weekend. And Almora, we'll see how his rehab goes, but potentially next week. And if McNeil starts his assignment in the next you know, few days, as Andy seemed to indicate, then you're maybe, I don't know, a week, week and a half away from that. So we're slowly but surely getting there. And all we said was the Mets need to find a way to stay afloat. We didn't even say the Mets needed to remain in first place. We just said hang the around. Mets can't. Yeah, just hang around. Don't lose a ton of games. Don't fall behind everyone. There's a distinct chance that you know, Conforto will seemingly be the last of the offensive players to come back. There's a chance that when Conforto comes back, the Mets are still in first place. And if that's the case, then it could not have gone any better. And a credit goes to, obviously, the replace Mets, as we want to call them, and Luis Rojas to be able to keep these guys motivated and going. Because, you know, I think I mentioned this last week that every, so often when there are injuries, especially to key players, it often affects the team and how they play, you know, not just obviously on the field, but in the clubhouse and everything. But it seems like this is just such a great unit of guys that the injuries haven't affected anything in the clubhouse. The camaraderie is fantastic. They have all the hand different hand signs depending on the day. They got the churve one and then they have like the waving hands. You know, it seems like they're just having fun and what more can you ask for? Have fun and win baseball games. That's a that's exactly right. And I think they have each other's backs, which, you know, in pro sports is not always the case. These guys are out there for their livelihood. They're out there to make a career. They're out there for personal accomplishments on top of team accomplishments. And I think with this team, you're seeing that they truly have each other's backs. And what I mean by that is, we know we've always known there's nights where DeGrom goes out there and he's unhittable, but the lineup does not hit. And DeGrom has had huge hits this year. But beyond that, Marcus Stroman is a guy that has become a stopper on the mound along with DeGrom. It's not just, hey, every five days you got your ace on the hill and, and you know that you should probably win that game. It's starting to feel that way with Stroman a little bit, honestly. He's having a career year. He's been not only very good on the mound and has one of the lowest ground ball, one of the highest ground ball rates on contact in the entire league. Last time I checked, he was third in the league at that, but he fields his position extremely well. He has not hit since he got to the Mets. And the other day they had to make a huge decision whether to pinch hit for him. And they didn't, which I thought was the right move. And he hit an RBI double. So I, I just look at this team. You see every mound visit, not just Lindor. We knew that about Lindor, that he's he's great with everyone on the team. But we've seen it with McCann and Nito working with pitchers. We've seen it with VR, how much of a rapport he has with everyone. A guy that signed a contract here and was definitely not promised a starting job. Forget that. He didn't even know how often he would get to play. Same with Pilar. So I just think that it's a team that they have each other's backs. And when guys go down... Other guys have stepped up and you can in a season like baseball where it's so, so long. I think that is such a vastly underrated quality of a baseball team. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's that's what's going to hold the glue together. And to me, that's the biggest task of a manager. I know if you go on Twitter during any given game, they're going to, you know, rip Rojas for not, you know, for not pulling for a pinch hitter or putting this reliever and that reliever in all those stuff are really day-to-day -day things and you know not necessarily so much big picture but when you look from a big picture standpoint to me the most important job of a manager nowadays is to motivate keep everyone on the same page keep that camaraderie going and really just make the team stay together as a team and the in-game stuff you know there's information that is passed down to him that helps with some of the decisions that they make and 
sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And that's, that's really the nature of, you know, the day-to-day baseball managing. It's a, it's not a very forgivable job. You know, it's, if things are not going right, it's the manager's fault. If things are going well, the players are playing great. So Look at Aaron Boone uh, right now, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they're calling, they're calling, they're calling for Aaron Boone's head. So, I mean, ultimately the Yankees players aren't playing the way they should. And, you know, I don't watch Yankees games day in and day out, but I don't know how much is really on Aaron Boone per se, but you know, I couldn't be happier with obviously the way things are going. The team is really clicking and Stroman's a guy that I think we need to start having that conversation. You know, very often on this pod, we've talked about, well, you know, we'll enjoy Marcus Stroman and then he'll go to free agency and that'll be that. I think the conversation needs to start, especially with the setback with Noah Syndergaard. Is Marcus Stroman the priority to resign? Man, I, it's how could you argue against it right now? Honestly, how could you argue against it? Now, we don't know what his market's going to look like. What we do know is starting pitchers with a long history of success get paid. I mean, that's how it goes. Even Noah Syndergaard, who hasn't pitched in two years, if he doesn't stay with the Mets, whether it's the qualifying offer or whatever it may be, I think his contract, if it's an external one, will surprise people. So we know Stroman is is going to get good money. Now, what I'll say is he's a pitcher that, you know, teams traditionally might be afraid to pay in terms of he's he's a smaller guy that isn't up there overpowering people traditionally, right? He's not this guy that has you know, a 10 plus K over nine. That's not what he's doing. He, but in today's game, getting outs by contact with a team behind him that's played good defense. And I'll drop this in the show right now. Our listener, James Costanzo sent us from sports info solutions. The Mets are second in defensive runs saved. Can't say any of us saw that coming. And we'll get into that more later. They've kind of built this team where, this is a really good place for Marcus Stroman to be. I love his energy. I have always loved his energy. But now you're kind of seeing it all come together where he's comfortable, he's confident. That's never been an issue. And he knows the guys playing behind him can get the outs when he pitches the contact. So he'll be, he will be a 30-year-old free agent. His birthday is in May. So he'll be a 30-year-old free, agency, a free agent. I'm very curious to see what his contract ends up being. But obviously, we haven't seen Carrasco this year. He's under contract for next year. Thank God Taiwan Walker's under contract for next year as well. It's been a tough year for Peterson. Syndergaard is the biggest wild card on the the entire team possibly right now. We know DeGrom's here next year. You have to look at the market and say, man, if you don't bring back Marcus Stroman, you better have a dang good solution as a plan B. And that solution is not coming from the minor leagues. Uh, I mean, Doesn't unless, exist. Un- yeah, unless Tyler McGill is really gonna hone in on that changeup that he still needs to work on, and he was recently promoted to AAA, and he was the, the Mets minor league pitcher of the month uh, for for May. So he's obviously knocking on the door of the big leagues. I wonder if he's a reliever long term. But outside of that, you know, you're looking at JT Ginn, who just made his professional debut last week in uh, single a st Lucie, so he's still a bit away it's got to be external whether that's trades free agents you're gonna have to figure out a way to fill out this rotation like i mean if peterson doesn't turn around do you even want to count on david peterson as a even a back end guy next year you may be looking to have him in triple a if things don't turn around and sign somebody instead well, let me. This is a good time to ask you this because I'm just going to be quite honest. Uh, all of the conversations I have with you, and you know, obviously read your content, read a lot of minor leagues content and prospect content. I had never heard of Thomas Sapucky before this winter, and really didn't know anything about him really going into the season. And he he's the only other guy that I even look at the stat sheet and go maybe. I mean, I'm not saying this year. I know a lot of people have called for him to be brought up this year. I, I don't 
I don't know if that's going to happen. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but at he's a 25-year-old, or he'll turn 25 in a couple of days, that has been lights out in AAA this year. Is there anything there? Absolutely. I mean, his stuff is not quite what it was pre-Tommy John. Uh, he was, you know, up to 96. At, at, before Tommy John surgery, Zabuck, he was going to be a top 100 prospect in baseball. So like he was really on the on the up and up as a prospect. Then he had Tommy John and missed a lot of time with it. He took longer than expected to really get back right. But his stuff is still fine. I mean, he's he'll touch 94, maybe 95 on a good day, but something around there. His breaking ball is a plus plus spin rate and he gets swings and misses on it. Again, the question is the third pitch. I don't know if he's a starting pitcher moving forward. Mm, might be he, he really then, right. He, I think he might be, uh, you know, Jacob Resnick and I talked about him uh, last week on Mets Perspective, which you could find on SNY.TV. And we almost kind of agreed that he might be like, if you want to think optimistically here, maybe like a, a lefty version of Seth Lugo, where it's a, right. <laughs> mo- a mo- you know, I hope, you know, that's talking upside, but, you know, you're talking a, a multi-inning capable guy with a plus breaking ball, pretty solid fastball. And I think that's the way bullpens are going to be moving going forward. If you're a one inning reliever, I don't think you're very, very long for the game. I think teams are seeing more and more the value of the two, three inning reliever instead of just this guy's really good for an inning, then he has to come out. And if a starter goes five, you have to use, you know, four relievers in a day, rather use two. So I think you'll see the game trending in that direction. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see Zipucky get a start, though, with the big league team, especially with the way Peterson's pitching. If he doesn't turn it around or if there's another injury, he is on the 40-man roster. They did that last year or the year before to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. So he's on the 40-man. So it's not like you have to do some crazy move to call him up. You just call him up and send somebody down. Yeah, I think so. The question really becomes... When is Carlos Carrasco going to be back? And the longer that, because we obviously know Syndergaard at the earliest seems like late August at the earliest. Syndergaard for me is just, hey, let's assume the Mets make the playoffs this year. Can we get anything out of him then in a long relief? Whatever. It's not even worth discussing right now. I guess the question really comes down to if we see Zabucky this year, one, does Peterson turn it around? And does Lucchese keep the stretch going where he's been good, I believe, three starts in a row right now? And two, it stinks to say it, but do we start to become very glass half empty on Carrasco or or do we truly believe after the All-Star break he can be a fixture in this rotation? I really don't know. Like right, when There's you been asked nothing, the, no updates. Yeah. When you asked the question, I was doing the shrug emoji. Like I was just like, <laughs> Who knows? I have absolutely yeah, I have absolutely no idea. There's not really much of an update. Like he's posting on Instagram that he's seemingly at City Field every day and going around New York and doing things. So I, I'm not sure what the update is on him, but obviously it's gonna get to the point when it's like, are you going to see Carlos Carrasco this year at all? I've it's I'm not at the point now where I'm really doubting that we will, but that time's going to come relatively soon if we don't get some real updates. I mean, the last update that Luis Rojas gave was, oh, he's trying to build up this his leg strength and yada yada, but no timeline for rehab assignment or anything like that. Well, when you don't pitch at all, including spring training, your rehab assignment is not going to be a start or two starts. It's going to be a more lengthy rehab assignment. So he's got to get going if he wants to, you know, feasibly be a a meaningful member of this rotation in the second half yeah I just think he could be I mean he truly is maybe the biggest x factor um one of the biggest x factors on this team because the lineup's been able to punch above their weight and they have reinforcements on the way the bullpen has been very good defensively you know they've obviously overachieved beyond belief now things will always come back to you know the law of averages at some point like the bullpen's gonna have its bad moments or bad stretches and guys are gonna get cold in the lineup that's just baseball but at the end of the day this team you're starting to get a feel of what they are 
And the one thing where you're looking at it, if you want them to be like, hey, can they hover around 88 wins or can this team push into the high 90s? It's probably one more true dominant starter. And that guy would be Carlos Carrasco. So before we get to the questions, Joe, anything you wanted to add this week? Um, Am, am I supposed to remember something that I'm supposed no, to add this week? No, I'm just genuinely <laughs> want to let you speak. I genuinely want to let you speak. Oh, yeah. No, uh, please check out. Mets perspective from last week. We did a feature on Brett Beatty. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, I tweet about it all the time and retweet things. So I don't know how you haven't come across it on my Twitter. But if you have not, for some reason, head to SNY.TV and check out the feature. We had an interview with Brett Beatty, which was really cool to do. And, you know, feature on him. We talked about Thomas Zapucky, who Connor and I just touched on. And, you know, we'll be recording a new episode later this week, early next week. And, you know, we'll have one for not this coming Thursday, but next Thursday. And this week for writing on SNY.TV, I will have a new MLB mock draft coming. So in the next couple days, if you're listening to this, it might be tomorrow for you. <laughs> um, but in the next couple days, they're going to be you know, loading up uh, my mock draft 2.0. In the first one, I gave uh, Miami of Ohio right-handed pitcher Sam Bachman. I'll be going a little different uh, with 2.0, but... Yeah, t- keep a lookout for that. And yeah, I think that's that covers that. Let's get to some questions. I know we got a great response from fans today at my tweet. So really appreciate everyone, you know, chiming in and having those questions. And if you listen to this podcast and you don't have Twitter, uh, you know, leave in a review questions for next week. You're I know guaranteed some... to be yeah. in the show if you leave a question in a review going forward. Correct. Let's say correct. That. If yep, if you if you leave your question in a review, we will address it on the next show. Hundred percent. First question from Jay Brown. Speaking of Brett Beatty, he says, "Please explain how, in the next couple of years, Beatty and Mauricio can find their way on the Mets major league roster at the same time. Considering Lindor is the shortstop and Beatty will likely play third." Where does Mauricio fit in? Second base? I assume Pete or Dom will be the DH. I, that's pretty much it. He I answered mean, if, his own question. Yeah. If if they are if everything is going to work out great, which as we know with prospects, it they don't not. always work out <laughs> as you plan. If it all works out that Mauricio and Beatty are going to be reliable regulars down the road, Mauricio's going to have to figure out second base. And, you know, he's uh he's definitely grown into his body a bit. He's not quite 200 pounds now he's probably in the 190s and you know that's it's a pretty sizable second baseman but he's got enough he's got soft hands you know I I think it's not impossible that he can do second base and Beatty from everything I've heard in the organization and Brett even talked about how much more comfortable that he is at third base you know I've questioned in the past if he's a third baseman the more I talk to people and the more I hear from people, the more I think Beatty will actually be able to play third base at the major league level. Maybe, like I said, not not win a gold glove. But if he's a if he's able to be a league average defensive third baseman with his offensive potential, that could be, you know, obviously a, a really good player. That would be a gigantic win if he could stick at third. It really would. Because quite frankly, if he can't you have to wonder where he plays on this team. We know Pete should be here for a very long time. Same with Dom. And the DH does open up a spot, which helps a ton. But at the end of the day, the way Beatty is hitting this year, uh, he's just been tremendous. Oh, and the big three have with Beatty, Mauricio, and Alvarez is just unbelievable to watch. But when you look at I Beatty, re- he's everything he was supposed to be. I recommend if you want to see these guys play together at Coney Island, I would say get down there soon because the triumvirate triumvirate may not all be there in the not too distant future. Um, I I don't think all of them will get promoted, but I mean, the way Beatty's hitting, how much longer are you going to, can he stay in Brooklyn before it's time to give him the challenge and Mauricio's been up and down a bit he was really really awesome out of this out of the gate then he struggled and now he's kind of back so I don't know if they're going to rush him and Alvarez just got there so they're not rushing him but if you want to see all three of these guys in Coney Island you might have like I don't know a couple weeks maybe before at least one of them is uh moved up I would like to see them be aggressive with Beatty 
with Mauricio and well Alvarez. I mean, he just got promoted. So, and no matter how good he hits, the dude is 19 years old. So with Alvarez, he got his promotion. It's great that he's in Brooklyn. He's obviously hit for some power, but I, you know, we don't expect him to be going anywhere. And then when you look at Mauricio, like you said, Joe, you know, that might be aggressive. It's been a little bit of an up and down. And you look at his age, you know, Mauricio's 20 and he turned 20 in April. So him and Alvarez are just really, really young guys. I have no problem letting them play in, in high A ball and let them do their thing. Now, with Beatty, you know, he's he's going to be 23 and uh, 22 in November, and he's just he's killing it high A ball. So why not move him up? Yeah. Eventually? Yeah, I think I think he warrants the call up. But just to give some a reference point for everybody, the average age of a player in the high A East League this year is just a tick over twenty three years old. Oh so we're God. talking about so he's still very so, young. So Beatty is still a little young for the league. Mauricio's even younger, and then Alvarez is even younger for the league. Alvarez is playing, you know, with kids that are four years older than him. Which is yes, quite the difference, and just shows how impressive his uh, skill set is. This might have been from you. I can't remember. I read somewhere that Alvarez is the second youngest player in that league with with yep. qualifying at bats. Yep, second youngest he, the entire league. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Next question. This is from Alec. Who is your dream midseason acquisition, and is Stroman more important to keep than Thor this offseason since he's healthy and cannot? be given the qualifying offer again. I'll chime in real quick. We made our case about Stroman. I, I think Stroman is quickly showing that he has to be a priority, but the market really does matter. Uh, who knows how crazy that can get and what the rest of the season looks like, but I'd love to see Stroman here for a long time. I, I'm not going to get overly creative with dream midseason acquisition. Uh, I would love Chris Bryant. I've made that very clear for a long time. I don't really consider it very realistic right now. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, one thing I have to ask, since this is something you and I talked about nonstop over the offseason, Joe, and obviously I want to hear your two cents on it. Uh, Eugenio Suarez has been quite frankly, very bad for the Reds in terms of what he usually is. He's he's hitting 162. Now, he's got 13 home runs. We know the power. This guy's hit 49 home runs in the season before, very recently, in 2019, 34 in 2018. He's got serious, serious pop. But for somebody that, you know, has hit 280 a couple seasons in his career, 271, 162 right now with only a 234 on base, maybe that's the bargain at some point if jd davis just never comes back i'm just spitballing here joe so with suarez i believe he has three years of con contractual control after this year you might be able to fact check that i'm almost yep, positive team option is in 2025 years. so his contract okay. runs through 24 correct so you're basically at that point saying you don't believe in brett Beatty. I guess, right? Because mm, that's I mean, an interesting way to look at. Yeah, you're training. You're you're training for Swar not that again. You know, we've had this conversation in the off season, and we'll continue to have it. You don't bank on prospects years in advance, but if Beatty's going to hit double A this year and he starts hitting, I don't know at that level. I don't know if you want to look for a longer term third baseman. For me, the dream acquisition. Uh, Chris Bryant's obviously top of the list. 
But if you want me to, it's interesting. You were going for a buy low of sorts with Suarez in Cincinnati. I was going to go with a different buy low in Cincinnati. Mm. And that's Luis Castillo, who's under control for, I believe, two more years after this. And he's been, let's just call it really bad. I mean, his ERA is over six and a half. What's going on there? I don't know, but it seems like Cincinnati outside of Jesse Winker is just no one's performing the way they should. Yeah, Luis Castillo's 2-8 and eight with a 6.63 ERA, um, a whip over 1.6. Just he's been straight up terrible. So obviously, if you look at his career, he's been very good. You know, assuming he's not injured or there's not something wrong with him. To me, that feels like a good buy low option. I don't know if Cincinnati is going to be looking to trade him, but certainly read articles on MLB.com speculating that teams could call about him. And if I'm the Mets, that'd be a call I'd love to make. I mean, we talked about the lack of starting pitching options that we're going to have going forward the next year or two. It wouldn't be too bad to have someone with Luis Castillo's upside in that rotation, certainly depending on what the uh, asking price would be. But to me, I think that's that's number two. That's my number two dream behind Chris Bryant is try to buy low on Luis Castillo. Mm, that man, that is crazy. I didn't know he's been that bad. And I realized it, it the other day. So, like, don't feel no bad because nobody talks about the Reds, honestly. No. Yeah. I, the numbers are jarring. When you look at what he did in 19 and 20, you know, around a 3 3 ERA combined with those. So, really low ERA and was striking out about you know 11 guys over nine and this year you already said the era but striking out about eight guys over nine that's just spikes that are unbelievable now i don't know how the their defense has been i don't know like you said is he hurt because the numbers are so there's such a drastic difference there there's something not right clearly but this is a player that when rumors were going around in the offseason and they might have been very fake, but that the Yankees wanted this guy. I mean, people were starting the, the talks on Twitter with like Glaber Torres plus. Now, once again, this is just nonsense. Me probably reading nonsense. But Castillo had a reputation entering this season at 28 years old as a young ace, essentially. Yeah, he was a front line. He was he was a front line front line type of guy coming in, and he's just been very bad. So maybe the right move for Cincinnati is honestly to hold him and hope he turns it around in the second half. And then if you want to sell him in the off season, do so. But if I'm the Mets, I'm making that call, especially with the question marks surrounding Carrasco and Syndergaard, and obviously the struggles that David Peterson has had. It wouldn't be too bad to grab someone with that level of talent, as long as there's nothing wrong with them. All right. The next question is from Johnny. What do you think about the scheduling before the All-Star break? Do you think the MLB should have done a better job finding a different solution than having the Mets play 34 games in 31 days? Well, obviously, the reason they're playing more games than actual days that exist in that time stretch is because of doubleheaders and makeups. But... Johnny is spot on with what he's thinking here. I, baseball just does not do a lot of things right. I'm going to be very honest here. I am truly mind blown at how poor the schedule was. Number one, you know, because some people be like, oh, you can't predict the weather. Well, yeah, you can. I, not much has really changed in the Northeast since I've been alive in these 29 years. In freaking April, it rains or is awful a lot. Sometimes it's very, very cold. Sometimes, I mean, Memorial Day, the weather... The Memorial Day weekend, the weather was as bad as I can ever remember it being. It was freezing and cold. Like, So that's been a huge problem is that they have to make up 8 million games. Obviously, the COVID situation to start the season with the Nationals, I mean, okay. Well, it's not insane to say, you know, it's not shocking with we've heard certain players, you know, how they've viewed the vaccine or guys or teams are not at the, the rate it needs to be at. So maybe the league just underestimated how many guys would uh, not get the vaccine, which, okay. So when you look at it, I just, I think they did a terrible job. Quite frankly, I look at the Mets schedule. I can't understand how some weeks they're off Mondays and Thursdays, and then they have stretches where they play like 15 or 18 days in a row or whatever it is. I I just don't understand, quite frankly. You, You could scatter days off 
way better. It's they got all their game. They play teams in these crunches. Like, I don't think they see the Rockies or the Diamondbacks the rest of the year, which it's nice. They had those teams when they're that banked up. But even the day, I just don't understand how the lack of the schedule being spread out. There's a lot of things I don't get about the schedule. I wish I could give you more insight onto the scheduling and how it all works. I, I don't understand it either. It doesn't seem like it makes a ton of sense half the time. Uh, I would say it, they probably could have stretched those double headers out a little more into the second half and make it a little more palatable for the team. But, you know, that's I, I hate to put it this way, but, you know, it's the way the cookie crumbles. You just got to go and play and, and win baseball games and just figure it out. But I agree with uh, Johnny and then you, of course, that th- this should have been stretched out through more into, you know, August and September and throw a couple doubleheaders in there. So that way you shouldn't really be playing more games than days exist <laughs> in, in at least in a short span of time like that. So, yeah, definitely frustrating to see what MLB has done. Not obviously not a ton you could do, just stinks that it worked out that way and hopefully it they're they're able to perform under you know 34 games in 31 days hopefully they're they don't it's not overdoing it and they go into you know a big swoon because of it well here's a question for you joe that's just a personal follow-up from me and this will make traditionalists cringe a little bit is there just too many baseball games in the mlb season i don't think so i like it i like i like a lot of baseball games i think they will end up reducing it at some point in time a little bit uh, but I don't think you're ever going to see like a hundred game season or anything like that. But there has been talks of, you know, down the road, maybe it drops into like the one fifties instead of over one sixty or maybe even the upper one forties and oh, slashing yeah. like, I'm not yeah, saying one twenty. I'm not even saying one forty. Yeah. I'm saying like, Hey, you want to knock off eight games a year, seven games a year and prepare for these massive cancellations in the beginning yep, of the year. And- and put more off days in the schedule. I think down the road, you will see a reduction in games. I don't think it'll be vast. Uh, I love as many baseball games as possible. I'm me, a fan though. Me too. I'm not, I love turning I'm, I'm not on a pl- every night. Yeah. I'm not a player. I'm not on the road. I'm not dealing with all the stuff that they deal with on a day-to-day basis. So for me, like play, play 40 games in 31 days. I don't care. It's more enjoyable for me as a fan, but I also, you know, from the standpoint of the players that, is definitely miserable. And uh, I think as time goes on, you'll see less games, more days off, and the days off will be designed for, like you said, rainouts, things like that, or just simply giving a little more rest to these guys. Mm. All right, this one is from Phil. As we have seen the Mets succeed with pitching, do you think Stroman and Syndergaard become a priority over Conforto in the offseason? What do you think, Joe? Both, no. Um, One, maybe. I mean, they might say... They, they need to sign both. Let's be honest. They need to sign a starting pitcher in Conforto. So, you know, this is putting me in a spot that I don't necessarily agree with how the Mets should handle it. But I do think looking at the starting pitching thing that we've outlined on this episode, that they can't lose both of those guys. There's just not there's nothing that you're going to be able to really replace them with unless you're going to go with an older guy. So to me, I think you got to prioritize keeping one of those arms but frankly, that shouldn't stop you from keeping Conforto too. Steve Cohen, we're talking about. You know, we're we're in a different time for the Mets financially that they should be able to do both. But certainly, you don't want to lose both those starting pitchers and put yourself in a real deficit on the pitching side of the ball. And Conforto is a guy that I think we're almost forgetting about in a sense. That's just like obviously he's out of sight, out of mind. But hopefully he comes back and really shows what Michael Conforto is and the Mets pay them both. Get a get a get a starting pitcher signed and keep Conforto. Yeah, I'm very conflicted, honestly, when I just look at the future of this team. I have always said I would love to see Conforto here for a very long time. And then there's always that thing in the back of my brain that goes off, like how crazy can Scott Boris get this thing? So I don't I think there's a line with Conforto and I know that's not easy to hear. And there's a line with anyone probably. Right. There's probably not a line with Jacob deGrom, but sure. But yeah, there's a line with everyone. They put a line in the sand with George Springer and they had a deal, all that stuff. But I'll say this. 
Scott Boris doesn't dictate Conforto's market. The teams do. Scott Boris could ask for whatever he wants to, but if no one offers it, it ain't there. So does Boris can all he has to do is convince one team though? That's the thing. So it's Boris is just doing his job. He's the best in the world at it. And you know, it Conforto's just not gonna be cheap to keep. Um if he comes back, especially if he comes back and hits like we want him to, so that way the 2021 Mets are successful, that's going to cost the 2022 and beyond Mets if they if they want to pay Conforto. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's just, I mean, that's going to be a conversation for a later show, but it is it is fascinating, and we get a million of these questions each week, and you and I always have these conversations, even on normal rundowns before we get to questions. Who are they going to prioritize? And quite frankly, I don't even know if the Mets are looking at it like that. I think the Mets are going to look at it and set numbers for everyone. And if they can get some of the guys back, then great. But if Conforto has an external market that they can't predict, then maybe you do pivot elsewhere. You do look at and go, hey, we'll up our number on Stroman. It's just it's all about dividing up money and it's it'll be very interesting. We know Conforto is going to be a priority for this team. They've already said that for a long time. But at the end of the day, things can change really quickly. All right. The next one from Matthew for the next CBA. What do you think fixes the service time issue? Do they keep service time and lower it down to five years or do they switch to a by age 26 slash 27 your free agent system? Both systems have their own issues. And I'm curious as to what you guys think. I of those options, I prefer the lowering amount of years and not doing the age thing because you'll have a guy that's called up at 20 and then you have his control for six, seven years. And then, you know, let's just look at a guy like Jake Mangum, for example, who is performing great for double A Binghamton friend of the show. You know, he's 25 years old now. So basically, if they called him up, they'd have him for a year and then he was a free agent. To me, there's got to be some in between. The system that they had in place hasn't worked. They need to find a way to, for me, whether it's, I don't even care if it's six years. The six years doesn't bother me. It's the fact that you get that extra year by holding them down for three weeks in April. Like they need to figure out how the service time, how you, how you can avoid service time manipulation. And I, I don't know if going to five years really changes all that much. Like, is it the same exact thing where it's like it's five years but if you hold them until the end of april you get that extra year i don't know uh but the 26 27 thing for me it's a no um but there's no question that service time and how teams operate it is going to be a huge sticking point in the next cba arguably arguably the biggest sticking point to be honest i could see it i think when you look at it you have all these guys that are just clawing and fighting to get to free agency and the way teams manipulate it to hold them down from being able to do it. And it creates a consistent issue. It's really a double layered issue because when you look at it, one, it takes forever to get to free agency. No, duh. Two, because it takes forever to get to free agency, you're in turn lowering your market value because you're an old ass free agent. Like, dudes get to free agency and they're, like, freaking 30 and 31. A nor- like, a free agent that's considered, like, oh, we can we could give him big money because he's 29. Like, that's how we speak about these things. And this was always my argument with Lindor was that, and I know he got 10 years, and I know it's been a slow start, although he's really turned around, and, and I love that Lindor is going to be here for a long time. But the Mets acquired Lindor when he was 27. There's not 27-year-old free agents just all over the free agent market. That's just not a thing. So the reality of the situation is these guys get six-year deals or you have to give them sit look at Springer when they're 30, 31 years old, and it just runs into this situation where teams are hesitant to do that because they know the last two or three years of that contract can be a nightmare. So it's a double-layered issue. It's a gigantic problem. Baseball's tough, man. It's tough. It's not like the NFL where, hey, we took this guy 22nd overall. He's going to start for us. And if he pans out, we got a fifth year option. And if it doesn't, you know, we can't get a deal done. We have the franchise tag or we could just draft his replacement the next year. And the roster turnover in the NFL is truly insane. 
but it works. It's not great in terms of people buying jerseys and getting having fan favorites. It's tough for that side of things. But the reality of the situation is it works for the players. And honestly, it's working for the teams for the most part. And the players could should get more. That's a different combo. But baseball is tricky, man. It's tricky. You some A lot of them are drafted out of high school. You're 17, 18 years old entering a system. You're grinding out pretty terrible lifestyle for the most part in the minor leagues for a very long time. You finally get to the big league club to start your service time. It's like a decade goes by and maybe you get to free agency. And I'm just going to be honest. I truly don't know the fix here that both sides can come to an agreement with. It's going to be very fun to watch this offseason. Uh, I think the players are very adamant about it, and I'm sure the owners are at Yeah, and the player and the owners are adamant that they want control as long as possible. So I understand how both sides look at it. I tend to lean player over owner, generally speaking, and I think it would be better for the players and for the game, excitement around the game, you know, when a premium young players in free agency, it gets all the headlines. It's real conversation. Like when Bryce Harper was a free agent and Manny Machado and those guys, it made the off season more exciting to follow those guys. Off season's a little, I mean, no offense to the George Springers and guys in the world. Yeah. It's a little less exciting when you're like this 31 year old center fielder. All right. He's good, but I think it'd be it'd be interesting to see if if they could find a way to get more guys to free agency at a younger age and make make the offseason a more exciting time for the fans and also get the players paid real money, you know, sooner than than they do now. So the whole service time and arbitration system, it's all going to be reviewed in a big way this offseason. It has to be. I mean, it really does. And. God, we're going to be busy covering more than just the Mets this offseason. We really are. But anyways, last question. It's a two-parter from our guy, Steve Miller. Always sends us a boatload of questions, and it's hard to pick because they're all really, really good. So we'll start with the first one. He basically has a question for each of us here, Joe, and the first one's for you. Whose power this year has been more surprising to you, Joe, Beatty or Mauricio? It's an easy one. It's Mauricio. I mean, Brett Beatty, when they drafted him, he was arguably the best high school power bat in the draft class. So to me, I expected Beatty to hit for power. Mauricio hit four home runs in 117, I think. I don't have the page up, but like 117 games in low A in 2019. Yeah, because 2020 didn't happen. So 2019 in low A for the whole season, he hit four home runs. He's already exceeded that in a month in Brooklyn. And he obviously put on a bunch of size in the last year plus, you know, he's up 15, 20 pounds, significantly different body. And he's crushing home runs. That home run he hit the other day over the bushes in center straightaway center field at, at the Jersey shore. Like that was an absolute shot. Been very impressed by Mauricio's power. And it's one of those things that the way he's playing, I'm like, Man, when I did my prospect rankings, I put Mauricio third because I didn't know if the power was going to come there. And here we are. He's just hitting shots. So to me, no question, uh, more surprised by Mauricio. Pleasantly surprised. And Beatty is just, you know, he got the Mets. I'd say he got the Mets perspective push. Like he had no home runs. He did have a big week after your show. Yeah. I mean, he had no home runs going into last week. He's on Mets perspective. And he hits four home runs in a week. So, I mean, call it what you will. Well, there's our, uh, you know, our announcement, our announcement to all players. If you want to get hot, if you want to go on a hot streak, <laughs> just come on the That's So Mets pod as well. We'll do the major league exactly. players on this show. And yeah. you guys. Will hey, J- hey, Jake, Ma- Jake Mangan was on the show and he's absolutely raking in double A. So the That's So Mets push is real, too. You know, it makes me laugh because we used to have this joke when I did stick to football bleacher report called the stick to football curse. And, you know, I won't get I won't even get too far into it, but uh, it's good to be on a podcast that it's the opposite, that we are now bringing good luck across the board to guests. So part two, and I do want you to get involved in this show, and I'm going to answer it very seriously. Uh, and I think it was asked in a serious manner. Steve says, Connor, you said you want to see the Mets brawl with someone this year. Which team do you want to see the Mets fight? And I think it's a great question because I do think these things matter. 
Now, when you get into a fight, it has to it has to mean something, right? Like that's why when the Mets many many years ago at the end of the season got into a fight with the Marlins, uh, Jose Reyes was involved, and we all know how that season ended. That was what is called a bad time to get into a fight, completely unnecessary. The Mets would need a meaningful fight. And what I when I said this, I wasn't like just being a meathead idiot and just like go out there and punch someone. I'm saying that, you know, when Alvarado was pulling his stunts on the Mets, like, OK, if he wants to do that again, like, let him know, you know, and, they, and the Mets have had the Mets have had some clash, very interesting clashes this year. Um, so when I look at this, obviously, the Phillies come to mind because the Phillies are. I mean, they're hanging around. They're not a bad team. There's no doubt about that. They are hanging around. They're 28 and 30. They're four games out of first place, so they're right in it. So if the Phillies continue to hang around and Alvarado, you know, does his usual, then you, you might have to fight the Phillies. Honestly, you might have to fight. You might have to show a division rival that is a serious threat that you're not going to take any of that. You know what? Now, if you're looking outside the division, I mean... The obvious one for me, I would like to see them fight when Trevor Bauer's on the mound. And I'm not saying that because he didn't sign here. I'm saying that because I can't stand Trevor Bauer. He's annoying. Uh, he's obnoxious. I'm laughing that his spin rate is is absolutely falling in the toilet as soon as MLB started to investigate baseballs. The Dodgers are a legitimate threat. And I know people are probably sitting there, well, why don't you say that about the Padres? I mean, if you watch that series for the most part, the Mets and the Padres get along pretty great. There's a mutual respect there with Tatis, Machado, Lindor across the board. I mean, there's no there's no like bad vibes. They're just two good teams playing really, really hard. I didn't look at I don't hate the Padres. I actually love the Padres. I love Tatis. I mean, when they're playing the Mets, I root very, very hard against the Padres. But the Dodgers obnoxious because of Bauer or the Phillies, because let's be real, they might actually be a rival threat and they've already pissed the Mets off this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would have just went with the Alvarado side. That's really kind of what I thought. I mean, the fights are... You don't like Trevor you, you Bauer. Could, I don't I don't particularly like Trevor Bauer, but they don't need the fight. They just need to score five runs off him. That's Fair. that's my that's my perspective. I mean, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Well, no, player. I agree. <laughs> I agree. But if you're... The, re, the only reason I would want to see yeah. the Mets get into a brawl is two reasons. One, to defend themselves if that crap continues to happen with Alvarado. Two, if you need to wake up the team, it happens in hockey all the time. I'm not like just go out and start a fight. That's idiotic and stupid and doesn't necessarily belong in baseball. But if they're just like dead in the water at some point in the season where there's just lifeless. And fortunately, with this club, that has been not an issue at all. Uh, obviously, the clubhouse is great. They seem to be able to fire themselves up and have a good time. But I do think there's something to be said and you could, maybe that was it. Maybe the Alvarado thing was it that brought this team together so early with Dom yelling out at the dugout and yelling at him and Alvarado, I mean, challenging, literally challenging the Mets and then hilariously not wanting anything to do with them and then melting the next time he pitched against them, literally melted. But I think that there's something to be said with those moments that can bring a team together. And maybe it already happened with this Mets team, as we've seen. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's one of those things ha have each other's back. So I totally get it from that standpoint where it's like, hey, if something's going to go down, if someone's going to get thrown at unnecessarily and you want to back up your teammate, I think that's a great thing. And like you said, could be great for team bonding going forward. Uh, I, I don't I mean, I don't like a lot of teams. I don't like most, te you know, pretty much every team in the NL East. But from a standpoint of actually bothering me, Alvarado is the only one that's actually bothered me this year. And it's just like, all right, if they're going to do something, it feels like that's the guy. Right. I'm not a fan of like Tatis hits a home run and or Acuna hits a home run and people want to throw at them or fight them. Because oh, no, they, no. Like I love no, celebrating no, no. in baseball. And I love like yeah. when Mason Williams kind of heaved the ball over the fence for a Tatis home run. I was like, man, that stinks. But when Tatis went nuts and celebrated, I'm like, good for him. Dude's one of the most exciting players in baseball. Like, that's the stuff I love. When you want to be a jerk and challenge guys after you are, I'm not saying Alvarado's throwing at them because the dude has had no control his entire major league existence. But then you got to you got to face up to him. You got to deal with it. You know, you got that's how it goes. So that's my kind of whole theory on like would like to see the Mets brawl. It's not like if a dude celebrates, do not throw at him. It's the worst part of the game. It's so dumb. 
or these unwritten baseball rules that I, I hate. It's it's really Keith's like own. I think Keith Hernandez. Obviously, I love Keith, but Keith is such a he's like a diehard with the unwritten rules. And I think it's the only thing that I, you know, we obviously like disagree with him on the broadcast. Like there's a lot of good new things in baseball. And I think that that's the side that they get wrong is that a guy has to get hit. Like when you look at Mer- the whole Mercedes situation with the White Sox, which you and I didn't really talk about a lot on this show because it's mostly a Mets show. But I found it interesting. Like if you have a guy on the mound throwing meatballs down the middle there, 45 miles an hour or whatever it was, I think that's more disrespectful to the game than the dude hitting home runs off of them. Yeah. What What is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to just, all right, we're winning by a lot. Let's just get out. I mean, this, your job is like your, your stats matter for your livelihood, for your, you know, for all the money that you're going to make never you know, down the road. He's never been yeah, paid. Yeah, he's never been paid. He's a rookie. <laughs> and La Russa, I mean, whatever with him, but he's, you know, basically supported getting them getting thrown at. And it's just like, I hate to put it like this, but it's like, we need that old guard out. <laughs> like, That's I appreciate truth, them. I appreciate them. But to me, the game needs to move in a more exciting direction. The reality is fans... And people, I mean, fans of TV shows, fans of everything, they're looking for fresh and fun and new. And, you know, yeah, you could keep the diehards like you or I that have been baseball fans their whole lives that are going to be into it regardless of what happens. But if you want to grow the game, it has to become more fun because young kids are moving towards other sports that are allowing more fun. Football allows more fun. Basketball allows more fun. Baseball is still kind of its own thing and they need to open that up and you know like you said if Tatis th- I you if he could throw his bat out of the stadium when he hits a home run and I couldn't care less no like keep doing if you, it if you it's hit, fun if you hit a if you hit a home run enjoy yourself have fun if you're on the mound and you get a good strikeout do some cool K strut I don't care have fun with it like don't be you know jerks to each other and throw at each other and try to injure each other but since when is fun a bad thing? It's not. It's great for this sport, honestly. Like, this sport needs it. It, it needs it. It needs yeah, it so bad. bad. Like, you look at how fun the guys are having on a weekly basis in the NFL. Obviously, the NBA. Obviously, even hockey, how great the NHL playoffs are. Like, the, it's good when baseball is in the news for these things. Like I said, I hate when it comes back to like guys are getting hit because of it or like stupid or managers aren't defending their guys. Like that's pathetic. And it's another really good thing about with Rojas. I'll say, by the way, Rojas goes to bat for his guys as much as anyone I've seen. And that, I think that might be his best quality right now, more so than anything. So I know we got a little bit more national perspective there, but it, it does have to do with the Mets and it had to do with the last question. And uh, it was a fun show today. What do you think? Yeah, no, really fun show and you know, looking forward to continuing on and hopefully the Mets can, you know, beat up on Baltimore here these couple of days. And then, you know, when San Diego comes to town, try to win that series because we're getting closer and closer to getting the reinforcements almost all back, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, we're now, uh, you know, probably under a month, assuming ever, there's no setbacks or anything, we're probably under a month from everybody being back on the offensive side of the ball. So if they're able to continue on, they're going to be more than fine. Absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully uh, they keep their heads above water as they continue to get guys back. And we are talking about a Mets first place team yet again next week. And I will close it out. Uh, Joe has done some great investigative work and found our original that's so Mets email with the password so we will get the YouTube up and firing we will tweet out the account from the that's so Mets Twitter account which you all should be following there so you can su- subscribe to the YouTube maybe we'll have our first live off the ground in the next what 10 days what do you think Joe uh, I'm ready Connor you tell me when when okay. everything's ready you're you're way more techie than I am so uh you let me know when you're ready and uh we'll we'll hop on we'll do live take questions what a, you know, we'll obviously go live probably after the draft or at least after the Mets make their first pick in the draft and talk about that. You know, we'll hop on if there's a big moment. Like, I think the YouTube channel is just going to give us, you know, more flexibility, a diff- more flexibility and, and a different audience too to to see because, you know, a lot of our follower base is based off Twitter and not everyone has it. And 
YouTube's just another thing. We just want to continue to grow that so much. And, you know, it's not just a podcast. It just, this is the podcast form of that so much. So we want to build up the YouTube channel and, you know, get out to City Field now that they're letting basically everyone back. And, you know, Connor and I will we'll plan out a game and not necessarily, you know, we're not going to do an outing like the seven line does, but, you know, we'll tweet out that we're going to go to this game and meet up at the Shea bridge or something. And, you know, if anyone goes, wants to say hi, you know, we'll be there. That's right. And speaking of that, I did see a question from, I wanted to get in here. It's just, we could directly answer this from Christopher Scholes. He said, can you guys start posting the podcast before the games the same day they're posted? I'd prefer not to hear about the upcoming game. So we, we definitely got away from that today. We have not talked at all about the Mets versus Orioles. We just really recapped the week, which is usually our general goal of the midweek show. That's why one show a week every Wednesday. But to answer that question, Chris, the point of the YouTube channel and more live streams from Joe and I is more current event reactions, more, you know, something big happens in the game. We can get on the live stream and react or the Mets make a move or somebody's coming back or things like that. More quick hitting kind of live reactions where the podcast will always be, hey, let's take a step back. Let's slow down. Let's take all your questions from what just happened in the last six to seven days rather than what's in the moment. So hopefully the YouTube channel can serve that purpose and you guys continue to love it and also continue to love the midweek show. And with that being said, episode 45 in the books. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.